0: Second Kings chapter 2, as we uh, see uh, Elijah being caught up in, uh, to glory without having to experience death, one of the two men uh, that this happened to, uh, the other one of course being uh, Enoch in the Genesis. So let's stand over we'll read the first uh, half or so of this uh, chapter and uh, then we'll get into uh, what's going on here. 2 Kings chapter 2. Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel, and the sons of the prophets who who were in Bethel Then Elijah said to him, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jordan, to the Jordan. And he said, As the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two went on. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at the dis- some distance from them. And as they both were standing by the Jordan, then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water. And the water was parted to the one side and to the other, till the two of them could go over on dry ground. And When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please let there be a double portion of your spirit upon me. And he said, You have asked a hard thing, yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they still walked on and talked, and behold, the chariots of fire and and horses of fire, separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two two pieces. And he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other, and Elisha went over Maybe see seated. So interesting uh, account, uh, but there's obviously some things in there that aren't quite as obvious maybe as others, so we want to uh, maybe try to uh, offer a little bit of, Light and insight into all this today. Uh, last week we saw a uh, member of the king uh, listening to the the uh, false prophets rather than the Lord. And, and so I was kind of just thinking about what we're seeing in these books. And, and like in chapter 1, it seems to emphasize what happens when people don't take the Lord and His Word seriously. Uh, and I think that's what explains, is I hope it explains why we do most of what we do in this church. Uh, the, the Lord's word is where we get light, where we get our instruction. It's, it's how we understand the world around us. So nothing is more important than the word of God. And uh, so therefore, that is why we are here, to instruct each other in the things of God, to build each other up in the faith. I mean, that's the only thing that we do. Uh, we are certainly to evangelize and so forth. But that is our purpose, especially when we come together. It is to uh, praise God. But again, it's not, we don't come together to primarily praise God and then tack on a little sermonette at the end. We are here to study God's word. We are here not so much to do something for God, but for God to do something for us, for God to speak to us. And a lot of churches, I can get this backwards, I think, with the idea that, well, we're coming to, you know, God, as if God needs us to be praising Him, and it's not that we aren't supposed to praise Him, but we more effectively praise God, not through singing and saying it, but by living lives that are, uh, glorifying to Him. If you want to praise God, live a life that praises Him. And, but yes, it is good and proper for us to sing songs of the Course and to praise the Lord, but we're here to hear from Him, to be built up in the faith. Church services are to center around the Word of God. So that's the that's the mindset that, that I certainly have, and I believe that faithful churches have. I, it's not something I've come up with. That's something that has been the rule of practice for 2,000 years and I think, good churches, you know, if you, you know, some actual churches and not ones that are playing church. So anyway, uh, that said, uh, it is amazing how many people don't like to think of God being God. We uh, As as God's word and God's prophet are taken lightly and people are being judged and dying from it, you, you have people standing outside this saying, well, God is mean and uh, why is God allowing this innocent person to suffer and so forth? It's amazing how man likes to set himself up as the judge of God and decide what God should be doing instead of reading God's word, seeing what he does, seeing who he is, and bringing ourselves under submission to that. But that is the proper place for us to be. And then we saw when it is God's will, he can't protect us from anything that is harmful to us. We we see him doing that with Elijah. Uh, we've seen it all along. Uh, that no matter what someone might decree, the king might decree to kill him, but uh, that will only happen if God wants it to happen. So there are several things to see then in chapter 2, not the least of which is proof that we don't die as dogs, right? If there are two men and not only two men, really if there's just one man who never experienced death but but are translated into the uh, a presence of God, that proves that that uh, there's life after death. there's there's more going on than what we see, right just in that alone. one of the main lessons of Elijah will continue, and and that will continue in with elisha is how they represent the word, of the Lord. And how they are to be treated with that in mind. Now I'm going to speak about this later. Because another thing that we're seeing. In these two books right. Is that. Uh, how many times does a prophet come. And speak the word of God. Excuse me to the king. Who, and and, and it's not favorable to the king. And he wants to. Kill. Or take it, his anger out upon the prophet. Sometimes that happens. Uh, sometimes it does not. So there's something here about how we are to receive God's word and how we are to uh, treat the person who brings you God's word. Now, in one sense, you study on your own, uh, but that is you and the word uh, alone. But but God has ordained that men come and teach and proclaim it. And the difference—I've uh, said this before, perhaps—but in case you haven't ever heard it, there's a difference between teaching and preaching. To some degree, it, it's maybe minor, but it's also important. Teaching is to explain God's word, and preaching is does that. But teaching can be done, uh, in the way that it's different than preaching is that, at least in the way I understand it, is that preaching is not just teaching, but it is proclamation. It is saying, "Thus says the Lord." It is explaining Scripture, but it is it is laying the uh, the uh, the uh, teachings of scripture upon us and it is proclaiming it without uh guilt, proclaiming it without fear, without reservation. It is it is it, and I think we need it. We need you know it's working for someone to get up and, and teach God's word and to explain it and that's all of our good. But we also sometimes need to hear, thus says the Lord. That this isn't optional. This isn't this is uh, this isn't uh, perhaps something where you know we can look at this differently. We're not sure about it. There's there's much in Scripture that needs to be proclaimed as truth, and we need to receive it as truth and submit ourselves to it. And that's something that we'll see here. This is what's not being hap- has not been happening, especially in Northern Israel. And what we saw last week and what we'll see this week is what happens when people don't take God seriously. And, and it's not—it's no laughing matter, and it still isn't. It's the same God, and He doesn't all of a sudden between the Testaments decide. You know what? I don't care if people want to be lax and not really care about their soul that much, and and, and just this is I just, if I just want them to know that I love them and that everything at the end of the day is going to be okay. God didn't this change. God is a God who expects to be treated as the Lord. And He's a God of love. But that makes, that just makes rebellion all the worse when we treat a loving God like that, right? Another thing that comes through as we read this is that even when a great servant is called home, the Lord still has His people to carry on His work. In other words, it never misses a beat. We see that with Elijah, right? Elijah Is seen, especially in the New Testament, as representing all the prophets of the Old Testament. And yet, even when he is taken away, things continue on. The Lord doesn't, uh, can raise up a servant whenever he needs them. And that's good for us to remember as well. Uh, we, uh, read about these schools of prophets uh, is believed that perhaps, uh, these were started when Samuel was propheted. It, it talks about him doing that. And so there's always seems to be hundreds, if not in some cases, thousands of prophets. You remember Jezebel, uh, tried to kill the, the hundred prophets that Obadiah hid from Ahab and Jezebel. There was a hundred just there. This is northern Israel. And, uh, perhaps, you know, that's when, when God said, told you, Elijah, i got seven 100 men who 7,000 men who haven't bowed to knee. He's just maybe speaking just, just to the prophets alone. But anyway, we see them from time to time. One pops up out of nowhere and says something, interacts with somebody, right? So that's, that's kind of what's going on here is, uh, they, they run through these two schools of prophets. But, uh, as we read through this, it seems apparent that what's going on with Elisha is really the focus of. This isn't so much about Elijah. I mean, it's about him being translated up to heaven, but it's really about Elisha's reaction to all this, and to some degree, maybe a lesser degree, the prophets, because they know what's going on. So as they reach Gilgal, there's a school there, and they come out, and and, and there, there, it seems to be a... Uh, Elisha is... From both the prophets and Elijah is, is try, being tempted to, uh, maybe react in an unfavorable way. And so it seems to be about Elisha's reaction. And these, these school of prophets, they come out and they say, do you know that Elijah's going? And it seems, there seems to be panic in the voices, if I can read between the lines. It's like, this is a big deal. And, and they're trying to get Elisha all excited about this. And what does Elisha say? Yeah, I know that. Now, it keeps getting still. And it's okay. And so he seems to be tempted to perhaps panic to make more of it than what it is because it happens twice and he says the same thing twice. And even Elijah tests him a couple of times. Stay here, I'm going to go on. And Elijah says, no, I'm not doing that. Even to the point that Elisha eventually says, if you stay with me to the very end, You'll get what you, what you've asked for. So Elijah is showing his care, Elisha is showing his character that he is focused on doing what's right and uh, being there for Elijah and nothing is going to slay him from that. So to me, at least in that, as far as that goes, the passage um, speaks to us about that, that we are to be committed to the things of God and we are not, should not be easily discouraged. When those around us, even believers around us, uh, react improperly, we have a duty before the Lord. <clears throat> um, in verse 4, again, Elijah tells Elisha to stay in a more comfortable place for now. But Elisha will uh, not make this about him. He will make it about being faithful to Elijah. And then in verse 5, we, uh, it says here, The sons of the prophets were at Jericho. They drew near to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord is going to take away your master over you? And, and like, like we just said, a couple of times this happens. And, and I would say that another thing that we see in all this is that just because multiple doors open, multiple opportunities, multiple trials or temptations. Now, you know, this is because it keeps happening. Just because somebody keeps encouraging you to do something doesn't mean that's the Lord's will. Now, it takes discernment. It takes uh, a certain measure of maturity. But, you know, I think that it's a weaker Christian who every time somebody would come up with an idea or encourage them to do something, every time an opportunity arises, they just assume that's the Lord. And they just run through it. And see, Elijah's Elisha's not doing that. And we're not told why here necessarily. But we know that at the end of the day he's done the right thing. So again, it, we, we go, we, we, we live our lives by the Word of God and just because that door opens or some advice has been given doesn't mean we aren't to stop and to think about it and to Exercise the, the, the wisdom that we can from God's word. <clears throat> Sometimes, it, it also means that not every choice is right or wrong. I don't know that it would have been wrong for Elisha. Maybe in a situation that we're not told about, Elisha knew it wasn't the right thing. But, I mean, we have to also understand that when it comes to understanding God's will. Sometimes, there's not a right or wrong answer. It, it's it, it, it's not right or wrong to take that job. It, it's not right or wrong to move, it's to do this or do that. We just simply do the, what we feel is right, and then we trust the Lord to, in the decision that we've made, to uh, use us. And uh, and even and that's true sometimes, even when we make the decision the best we know to do, and it all falls apart, it doesn't mean we've sinned. Now, if you've you done something that you that you really didn't feel comfortable. You, you by faith, you know, you didn't have the faith to do this. You, you you knew that there was probably not the best thing to do, or maybe you knew it was wrong, and it all falls apart. Well, that's on you, and and that's something that you have got to, you know, ask for forgiveness for and learn from. But but sometimes it happens, and you haven't done anything wrong. And I think, and I say that I think it's important because I think we can become devastated if we feel like. Every bad thing that happens to us is a result of our sin, right? It's it's a very legalistic system where it it kind of goes back to what we've said often about the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. In the Old Covenant, you know, doing wrong brought immediate, often physical blessings or curses, but we can't think like that. We've got to understand that that the Lord is going to lead us in different paths and Difficult times. And that's okay. It's not. It's not tit for tat. It's. We just do the best we can. And we. Serve the Lord faithfully. In the meantime. And. I think. We see this. We're reminded about some of these things here. Well then in verse 9. Again. I think Elisha shows his character. Because. Elijah says. Ask what you will. And it will be given to you. If you're here. When I. Um. You know. Take it up. And uh. He doesn't ask for anything that feeds his flesh. He doesn't ask for fame. You might say he asks for power. But, again, it's not, and maybe someone could read this and say, well, you know, he's asking for twice the power of Elijah. Of Elijah. Well, he's asking for a double measure of the spirit. So it, it seems to me what he's asking for, and, again, God blesses him with this, so it's, I think it's the right thing. He's asking that he would have a, his ministry would be double, that he would have double power of the Holy Spirit upon him. So, you know, I, you know, I, I can see where you could read this and say, well, you know, that's like a pastor saying that pray that my church should be twice as big as the next church or something like that. Well, you know, and, and that would be, a uh, suspect, but I think this is clearly, he's wanting to be used of the Lord. And so he's asking for a good thing. And I think the way that it comes to him uh, would indicate that. And, uh, you know, in, in a sense, you think about what Jesus said. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will we do, because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this will I do, and the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Then there's a little bit of a similarity here in, in what Elisha is asking for. Because if you think about it, there's, there's a little bit of a typology going on here. Elijah is the prophet, the great prophet. He is caught up in the air, as it were. It, it, evidently it's some sort of a fiery tornado. We're not exactly sure, you know, what was going on here. But he's caught up. And then the one who takes his place, who receives his mantle, who receives his spirit, the double portion, does twice as many miracles as Elijah does. When when Elijah parted the water there, that was his seventh miracle. And, of course, when Elisha parts the water to go back, that'll be the beginning of his 14 miracles. If you can count there. All right, so think about it. When Jesus leaves... What happens? He sends the Holy Spirit upon the church. And he says that when I do that, when I no longer am confined to one place, but in the Spirit, I I am in in all your people in the church, greater work, the church should do greater works than the few little works that Jesus did in history in half years. They will go forth and, and do greater works. They will have a greater ministry. And that's certainly what happened. So I think there's a little bit of typology going on here. Um, but it's it, it Elijah receives this because he's no doubt asking for the right reason. And of course, you know, a lot of people have used verse fourteen here. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. They they love to draw on to that promise, but they don't speak about the first two verses where like in verse 13, whatever you ask in my name, that the Father may be glorified the Son. So if that's the reason why you're asking, and if that's the result of what you're asking for, you will receive it. But not, it's not a card block to ask, well, whatever you want, I'm going to give you. And I think if Elijah, Elijah had asked for something that was uh, sensual or, I mean, you know, just, of no use to him he wouldn't have been answered like that or if, or if he the lord had maybe had, would give it to him but then he wouldn't have been used so just some uh, interesting things i think for us to think about elijah calls it a hard thing and i don't think it's a it was hard because he couldn't do it or difficult but really what elijah's asking for what i've said is he's he's asking that his ministry would be twice as big or twice as useful, whatever being you know, having that that double portion of the spirit would lead to. And so I think what he what Elijah's saying is it's going to you know his life has not been easy. Elijah has had been on the run for his life at times. He's had to uh you know be rejected. So what you're asking for when you when you when we ask that God would use me we pray that God would use this church. Right, it's, it's, for that to happen, He's going to have to put us through the fire. He's going to have to put us through difficulty. It's going it to mean it's going to mean hard work. It's not going to be well Lord, you know, just use this church Does that mean, well he's just going to build it up and we're going to have a great ministry and a beautiful building. No, not I not think it's going to be used as is good useful witnesses to others is they're going to have to see God's grace in us and it's going to be through difficulty often and I think that's what Elijah is telling Elisha there okay you, it, you're going to get it but it's going to be it's going to come through difficulty because that's the way the Christian life always has been <clears throat> well then on his way back after Elijah is gone we see him coming to an obstacle and what does he do? Well, he pulls out uh, the mantle and does what Elijah did. And uh, so, as we said there, you know, these verses uh, again, I kind of just repeated verse fourteen there for you to see there. I think we see kind of a, a parallel here. There's this mantle represents not just authority but power, um, <clears throat> which we were given at Pentecost. And then, uh, when, when he sees Elijah taken up in verses 12 and 13, he we he see he's no stoic. He, he cries after Elijah. He's overwhelmed, no doubt, by the sight as, as any of us would have been. He's affected by the loss of his mentor. Uh, but he turns around and immediately starts to go back and to do his duty, to carry on his ministry. He, he does, and I think that's part of the thing here with uh, these, uh, Prophets coming to Elisha saying, Do you know what's going on? Do you know what's going on? And Elijah says, Okay, yes, Elijah, my mentor's gonna be taking him up from me, but settle down, something into the world. We got work to do. And so you see him, he turns right around, he goes and he splits the uh waters and he goes to the city, he starts to interact with the people, carrying on the work. And so again, I think that's just a good sign of maturity that when, when someone's life gets disrupted. We don't just fall apart. We, we realize that okay, this is what God has, has got for me right now, and we carry on. And it's hard. I mean, it's easy to say, I understand that, but it's hard. You know, when God puts you through the ringer, it, that's the the ringer by definition is oppressed, it's not pleasant. But maturity says, okay, I know that that this is not going to last. I know this is here for a purpose, and I've got a job to do. And so we see here with Elijah, we see him, I think, being a very good testimony in that regard. <clears throat> and so there's no excuse in thinking that, well, in some bygone era it was better, they had it better than us, and we can't be held to the same standard and all that. We have the same spirit, we have the same commission that the apostles had, that the church has had for 2,000 years. We've got our own unique situations, in some cases, yes, in, in our culture today, but nothing's changed. We've been called to do a job, and, and we are to do it. And uh, it's always a danger for a Christian to think that an earlier age had a lock on truth, or a lock on uh, the ability to serve the Lord, uh, but uh, God wouldn't have us here if he didn't have a, a purpose for us. So life goes on. And uh, just because uh, the, a great man of God dies doesn't mean that the next generation won't continue on. Calvin, is interested, John Calvin seemed to understand this. When he was given instructions for his funeral, he was very worried it would appear that he did not want to be a big fuss. He didn't want to be treated Special and of course that's uh, kind of hard to do, but he he gave specific instructions about a simple coffin. He didn't want any words spoken, no songs sung. He didn't even want his grave to be marked. Now I don't know if they know where he's um, buried or not, but he didn't want any grave markers. Of course, one thing he couldn't control was the throngs that were there at his funeral. But I mean, I could appreciate at least his. A spirit, and that he understood that, look, when God takes me, that's it. Uh, the, another generation has got to carry on the work. You can't, it can't just just be, you know, rely upon me. Can't just rely upon me, right? So, no matter how valuable someone might be, the next generation's job is to learn and to, to benefit from that, and then to carry on the work and not live in the shadow of previous generation. Those are certainly things I think we can see even here with Elisha. Now, the interesting thing about this first miracle of Elisha imparting the Jordan River is that this is the fourth time we've seen this type of miracle in the Bible, right? We saw it with the Red Sea. We saw it with uh, when Joshua was leading the people of Israel into Canaan. And then... We've seen it now here with Elijah and now Elisha. And I think the interesting thing here is that the Lord has led these all, uh, these different groups to the same place, but in each case, He delivers them the same way, but not in the same method. He changes it a little bit. So and I think it's, it's, it, we're reminded that the Lord doesn't always have, doesn't always work the same way. Even when Jesus did His miracles, it seemed like he was pretty careful to always change things up. Remember, he would heal sometimes by a touch, sometimes by, you know, spitting in in dirt and making mud and putting that on the eye, different ways, so that we we don't get caught up in the method, but in the uh, power of God. And uh, so I think maybe the practical application of that is that when you see somebody... God using somebody and delivering them, don't assume that God's going to do the exact same thing with you. And it doesn't mean that we can't learn by example. You know, there's a lot of great books that have been written of people going through difficult times, and, and they've written how the Lord delivered them. But we've got to be careful about thinking that, well,
1: you know, they said
0: this prayer. They did this thing, and so therefore that's what God's going to do for me. And we begin to emphasize the mode and the methods, and not... The, the, the power of God. Someone said, uh, we, we do God's will not by duplicating the method, but by depending upon the master, right? And I think that's the thing to remember that they, in all these cases, they were depending upon the Lord and not getting caught up in, well, we got, to, you know, Joshua did it this way, so I've got to do it this way and so forth. Well, then, in verses 15 through 18, we, we come to something interesting because now the prophet's meeting Elisha coming back and they're, they're begging Elisha to let them go and look for Elijah. And you are know, thinking, what, why would they do this? They, they, they do not understand. They, they knew Elijah was going to be taken. Now, and they say, well, maybe the Lord just took him over yonder to that mountain. Let's go look for him. And, you know, Elisha seems to be embarrassed by this and says, no, you're not doing that. And they keep on to the point that Elisha is embarrassed. And what what's the, uh, uh, verse 17, it, here it says, it says, he was ashamed. Like, why do you keep asking this? And he finally lets them go. And, of course, they don't find them. So I thought that was kind of an interesting thing, you know, but, but maybe they say, well, you know, what do we learn from all that? Well, these are men who acknowledge the Lord. They're prophets of God. They acknowledge that Elisha is now the successor of Elijah. But they seem to want more. They, they seem to want the flash. And, and Elisha has told them what to do, but that's boring. They, they want miracles. They want experiences, and, and that's what it seems like impresses us the most. Say, so what do I need today? Well, what we need is God's word. But eh. so I need I need God to speak to me. I need to be. I need to see some somebody go through a great experience. I need something flashy instead of just that same old same old. And, and it seems like you almost get this impression here. We, we we're we not impressed with God transforming us through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the proclamation of the Word of God, through the careful study of God's Word. <clears throat> we know we got to do that, but well, it gets boring after a while, you know, whatever we, we, we do. So, you know, tests come back that the cancer is gone, and now... That's, but now we've got a great testimony. Now, you know, the pastor gets the guy and says, okay, look, now, when you get to church, I want you to, to, uh, tell your testimony. You've got this great testimony. <clears throat> and of course, you know, I remember in the seventh grade, we had, I, I doubt any of you guys ever heard of this guy, but if you have, it'd be interesting. You ever heard of Freddie Gage? He was an evangelist, uh, in the early seventies from Texas. Um and, uh, he was uh, all into drugs and the gangs and I don't know what all was going on, but his his crusades, the Freddie Gage crusades, was really him just telling his testimony, which is often, you know, a technique that people <laughs> use. Didn't have much preaching because I don't think he probably knew much about the Bible, but he he had a, a spell binding testimony. And I remember, you know, we had one service in a church that held about eight hundred people. The next night we were at the uh uh at the at the high school uh uh football field that had stadium seats on both sides of it, pretty good size, because you could the church couldn't hold it anymore because word got out this guy's got this great testimony. I'm not against testimonies. But it, you know, throngs came forward. It was a the city, the you know, whole town. Was, it was a, not a huge town, but it was, you know, big news. He leaves, and that's the end of it, because it wasn't about the, the spirit of God. It was about flash. It was about emotion, and that's what gets us going. And, and I'd say, well, what, what's your point? Because what we need to be excited about is when we see the Lord transform a life. When we see people transformed out of, you know, saved, converted, out, out of, you know, drug abuse or whatever that, you know, because everybody born into this world is, a, is a, a child of Satan until the Lord saves them. That's what should excite us. Or when we see each other starting to grow in the Lord and we see homes that once were broken, uh, All of a sudden becoming a good solid home where where the children are being raised in the Lord. That's the things that excites me. I want, I want to see lives and families strong and children uh, taught the Word of God and things like that. And we don't, you know, I love, you know, and look at, if God, if you've got cancer, you seem to be dying of cancer, if the Lord, uh, performs a miracle on you, we will make sure that God gets the glory for it. Don't worry. But that Those things come and go, it, it, but to see people transformed by the word of God to me is, is what we need to really be focusing on. And then in verse 19, we have the second miracle. As he goes to Jericho, and if you think about this, it's, it's kind of a, another type. You've got a place where the water's bad and people are dying, You can't grow crops. It's, it's Jericho. It should have never been rebuilt to start with, right? And I guess the Lord, uh, to confirm that fact, they didn't have any good well water. And so it, it was not it was producing miscarriages and different things and crops were growing. And they asked Elisha to fix it. <clears throat> and uh, so that's what he does. When God changes the your soul, when he changes that well water, all of a sudden that which brought forth death now brings forth life. And that was Elisha's first miracle. And uh so again that's the thing that's the things that I think should excite us when we see new life coming out of somebody. Um, <clears throat> verse twenty three though, the, the scene changes there, he goes to Bethel, and uh yeah, I don't know how long he's there or anything, but on his way out, a throng of young men, teenagers probably, you know, maybe ten to twelve years old, something like that. The, the words that are used here, these are boys, small boys, it says not, maybe younger, I don't know, but they're old enough to be out on their own, and 42 are killed in this, So, but it says later, it tells us that there are more than that, so there's a bunch of boys who come up, and Elisha is leaving, and these boys start following him, and they're saying, go up, thou bald head, so they're being extremely disrespectful, and it's possible, some believe that when they say, go up, really what they're saying is not, you know, get out of here. They're saying, go up like Elijah, Obaldi. Go up. You know, we want to see you do what Elijah did. Being completely disrespectful. But the fact that they are that they do this says a whole lot. Because people read this and they think, oh my goodness, how yeah, would God allow, allow these bears? Because Elijah turns around and and curses them, and two she-bears come out, and kill 42 of them, not not all of them, 42 of them, so there's a lot of them, so how in the world could, this happen, and why would the Lord do this, well, it's what we've been saying all along, uh, it doesn't matter who it is, you take the Lord seriously, and there's going to be consequences, and, uh, it's a difficult passage, just, you, know, I, you know, I say that, this is something that shouldn't, shock us, but at, at the end of the day, you know, if, if you if you're a witness to this, it would be, it would be hard to take. It, it is an awful thing, but I think that's why it's here. It, 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 it's a lesson to be learned. Um, Bethel was a hotbed of paganism. And these boys then were, what they were doing illustrated or showed what they had been taught at home. They're only, a child only does what he sees his parents do, as a rule. Their, their attitude towards the Elisha reflected the attitude that they had seen and heard from their parents. That, that's almost a given. You know, 42-plus boys don't just do this without out, out of, for no reason. They, they were doing this because they were reflecting, I think, their parents' um, attitude, and therefore, that's what made, one of the reasons why this is, I think it happens the way it does. <clears throat> and uh so they hadn't they hadn't been taught to respect ne- neither God's word or God's man, who God's servant who was proclaiming that word. So they weren't out just playing. They were following him out of the city and they were taunting him. Uh, it was deliberate. And so you don't want to lose sight of the problem here. They have no respect for the Lord, therefore they have no respect for the pastor, or in this, or the prophet. Now I'm gonna, I'm going to, not this week because I'm we're about out of time. But there's something to be said then on how you view church leadership for those who teach you God's word and. What I don't want us to see is think is that I'm saying that you've got to treat me with the same respect that you know, with with this awe and, and wonder, and, and never say anything bad, lest God send a bear to destroy you. That's not the point. But what we are going to see here, and I'll, and I'll talk about it more next week, is that there was a connection between how they treated Elijah, the prophet, and how they looked at the Lord God in His Word, right? And that's, that was the issue. It wasn't that Elisha deserved some sort of respect that nobody else did? It, it was a, it was a transference of, of how they looked at God, but of they can't get to God, so they take it out of God's servant. And so there's something to be said about how you view not just me, but the elders, the leadership in my office in that I'm standing up here proclaiming God's word, and and what I'm saying is take it seriously. It's not that I'm special. And it doesn't mean I can't be criticized, or Jeff can't be criticized. If we do something uh, that deserves it, fine. But, when it comes to what we're doing, it, how you treat me, and how you treat the service, it, is a reflection on your view of God. And And, That is something to think about. And and, and again, it it holds true to me because I still have to, when I come to study God's word, how I understand God and his word will be reflected in how I I study it and how I proclaim it. If I stand up here and and think, well, you know, I know John DeMar doesn't like this particular subject, so I'm going to stay away from it because I don't want to upset him lest he leave. I have not taken God's word seriously. I haven't feared God. I feared man. I feared my cut and pay or a smaller church or whatever, right? It's, it's So it's the same thing. And that's, I think, what we see here. And I'll kind of finish up those thoughts a little bit next week. Any questions or comments? We do thank you, Heavenly Father, for your love to us this day and for the word of God. Even these accounts of old that are so interesting because there's just so, so many things there to see and to dwell upon, to meditate upon. So I pray that you might help us to be able to do that uh, this week. Lord, and every day that uh, everything would be uh, judged by the word of God to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.